0: That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.
1: Welcome to Dear Prudence. I'm your prudence, Janae Desmond-Harris. This week, we'll be discussing how to decline a colleague's invitation to dinner, when it's okay to ghost a friend, and whether it's possible to stay positive about finding love when you're completely burned out on dating apps. Here to help me out today is the writer, professor and commentator Roxane Gay. She's the author of books, including New York Times bestsellers, Bad Feminist and Hunger. And she writes the newsletter, The Audacity. She gives advice on professional dilemmas as the New York Times work friend columnist. Welcome, Roxane. Thank you so much for being here.
2: Thank you so much for having me, Janae. I'm excited.
1: I want to start off by asking you um, for one piece of unsolicited advice
2: unsolicited advice is terrible. So I guess my one piece of uh, advice would be don't offer unsolicited advice.
1: Fair, but it's very hard not to, right?
2: Uh, I can barely control myself. I just love giving advice so much. Me too. It's like, yeah, I'm totally ready to give you advice.
1: I mean, we're both lucky that we do it professionally, but that doesn't stop me from still wanting to just weigh in unprompted all across my life. It's
2: never a deterrent. It's always like, I see you really doing something that's not good. Let me help right. you. And generally people are like, I'm good. I want to fuck up. Thanks.
1: Right. But <laughs> a good reason not to is that you're not responsible if things go awry.
2: Correct. Because sometimes you give advice and, you know, people actually don't really want advice when they ask for advice. Mm-hmm. I think that they want their opinion or their the decision they've already made to be affirmed and mm-hmm. if you don't affirm that decision with your advice then you know it's awkward
1: absolutely all right well Roxanne and I will dive into questions and give solicited advice after a short break Can't get enough Dear Prudence, then you should definitely join Slate Plus, Slate's membership program. You'll get to hear me answer an extra question every week just for members. With your subscription, you get ad-free listening across the Slate network and unlimited reading on the Slate site, including all Dear Prudence columns, past and present. Go to slate.com forward slash prudyplus to sign up. It's just $15 for your first three months. Again, That's slate.com forward slash prudy plus. The best way to learn a language, immersion, living where the language is spoken and using it every day. But if that's not in the cards this year, you can still learn a language the second best way. And that's with Babel. I love how easy it is to use and as a person who can be really self-conscious about making mistakes, I love that I don't have to actually talk to a real human while I'm still working on my vocabulary and my accent. Be a better you in 2024 with Babel, the science-based language-driven learning app that actually works. Don't pay hundreds of dollars for private tutors or waste hours on apps that don't really help you speak the language. Babbel's quick 10-minute lessons are handcrafted by over 200 language experts to help you start speaking a new language in as little as three weeks. Babel's designed by real people for real conversations. Babbel's tips and tools are approachable, accessible, and rooted in real-life situations. They're delivered with conversation-based teaching, so you're ready to practice what you've learned in the real world. Babel has over 16 million subscriptions sold, Plus, all of Babel's 14 award-winning language courses are backed by their 20-day money back guarantee. Here's a special limited time deal for our listeners. Right now, get 55% off your Babbel subscription, but only for our listeners at Babel.com slash Prudy. Get 55% off at Babbel.com slash Prudy. Spelled B-A-B-B-E-L dot com slash prudy. Rules and restrictions may apply. Welcome back. You're listening to Dear Prudence, and I'm here with Roxanne Gay. Let's get started with our first letter. It's titled, I'd Rather Eat Alone.
3: At work, I manage a team of four people, including myself. I get along well with my teammates, and the atmosphere at our very small company is more friendly than professional. However, I've never been the type of person to hang out with coworkers in my free time. That brings us to Chris. Chris and I were hired around the same time and we worked closely together for a number of months. I've always acted polite and friendly towards them, but I've come to find that I don't really enjoy Chris's company. They talk over me in conversation and ask about personal topics that I would hesitate to discuss with close friends, let alone random coworkers. They aren't afraid to disagree in polite conversation and have invalidated my lived experience a number of times. Their work is also far below the rest of the teams in quality. We often have to redo tasks they've done, and I consistently give them the easiest tasks, which they still mess up. All this is to say that while they're not some awful person, I just don't really enjoy being around them. Last week, Chris invited me to a dinner party they were hosting at their house. Prudy, I said yes against my better judgment. I'm agreeable to a fault and have been trying to work on my people-pleasing tendencies, but I couldn't think of a polite way to decline in the moment. I don't want to go to this dinner party. I already dislike seeing coworkers outside of work and it adds an extra lay of awkwardness that I'm Chris's manager. They're also very unhygienic. Think not washing their hands after taking out the trash and I'm a super clean person. I don't want to see what the inside of their house looks like or eat food they've prepared. How do I get out of this? Or do I have to go now that I said I would?
1: So... To clarify, the letter writer hates Chris personally and professionally and thinks they're filthy. Yes. Putting aside for a minute that Chris is like a pushy, rude person who's bad at their job and doesn't wash their hands, I wonder what you think as someone who gives advice about workplace dilemmas about the very idea of inviting your manager or boss over for dinner.
2: Well, I am one of those people who believes in the separation of church and state, and Mm -hmm. I apply that to my professional life. Uh, as as well, much to the chagrin of many of my colleagues. Like I like you, and we work together, but I have friends, and they're not at work. So (laughs) I I think that this letter writer's instincts to not want to socialize with people at work are correct. Because, I mean, many people meet friends and lovers at work, it's fine. But for some of us, it's not. And we need that separation for whatever reason. And there's the added complication of being this person's manager, Mm -hmm. which can make for awkward times. And so I think just suck it up and say, I'm sorry, something has come up and I can't make it. Things come up all the time. I think people Mm -hmm. live to cancel plans. So just cancel the plans.
1: Yeah, I think I was trying to figure out whether inviting your boss over for dinner is normal. Um, and I went poking around on the internet and there was actually a Reddit thread about it where someone pointed out that it really used to be a thing. Like in the eighties and nineties, every sitcom had an episode about the boss coming over for dinner and something embarrassing happening. But I feel that it's not anymore. I think we keep things more separate now.
2: I think we do. And I, I also think it depends. Like I have two people that work for me full time and I would happily share a meal with them. We went like my colleague Caitlin and I Um, And many of my other friends, we went to see Beyonce two nights ago, um, Mm -hmm. because that was my Christmas present to her. And it was awesome. And, it, you know, we had a lot of fun. But I also know, like, when it's time for me to sort of go about my business, and of course, let her hang out with her friends and her partner, you know, say, all right, this has been great. Uh, And I think that's important to know when to enjoy someone socially and when to have boundaries for both of you, actually. I think it goes in both directions.
1: Totally. And aside from even boundaries and appropriateness, when I think of some of the biggest wastes of time in my life, they're the the hours I invested into nurturing relationships outside of work with colleagues who never cared to speak to me again Mm. when one or both of us got a different job, you know? Like I took my Wednesday. I took the train. I went to your home for dinner. I talked to your husband. I talked to your kids. The minute you got promoted or I got a new job and we didn't have that like Slack connection anymore, you never cared to see me again. Why did I spend that Wednesday with you? If it wasn't a real friendship, you know, that could have happened around the coffee machine at work.
2: Yeah, absolutely. And I think time is so precious these days for many of us Mm -hmm. that When you do make that investment and it's never reciprocated or it's, you know, finite in a way that doesn't seem natural, I think a lot of resentment can build, which is just another argument for not socializing unnecessarily with people from work.
1: Totally. I I think the situation would be more complicated and tricky if Chris were the manager or a super valuable employee or even if they were a really nice person who the letter writer didn't want to snub. But again, bad at work, no authority over the letter writer, a jerk and filthy. Um, I agree with you that I think backing out is the right thing to do here. And my script is, hey, Chris. I was really looking forward to dinner at your house, but I'm realizing saying yes was against my better judgment. After thinking about it, I think the best thing to do with professionalism and fairness in mind would be for me to not visit the home of any of my direct reports. Thank you so much for inviting me. It was so nice of you. See you on Slack.
2: Wow. You would be so much more honest than I would. (laughs) (laughs)
1: Because you were going to be like, my dog died. Well, no, I wouldn't make up a lie.
2: I would just (laughs) be like, I can't make it. I, I, you know, cause I don't think it's good to lie at all. Actually, I don't believe in lying, but I do think it's okay to tell a half truth because you know, like I can't make it. The truth is I don't want to go. So I can't make it. Right. <laughs> I think if you offer a reason, then that can come back to bite you in the ass. Cause let's say you right. have a direct report who you really like, who invites you to dinner and you're like, mm. yes. And then word trickles back. Then right. you're like in a pickle.
1: I mean, I don't like confrontation or direct confrontation at all. I'm always saying that. So I try to keep it realistic. And there's always a gap between what I would probably do and the advice I would give. So I would absolutely be like, oh, I have COVID. I Just a touch of COVID. Um, I got a faint, faint positive out of caution. I'm just going to isolate. Um, but I don't want Chris to continue inviting the letter writer to more and more stuff. And for the letter writer to have to keep making excuses. I just want to kind of end this now.
2: That's actually smart. Yes. Nip it in the bud. Just be like, never shall we socialize after 7pm.
1: Right. And it'll make things less awkward when you have to put Chris on a performance improvement plan or, you know, confront them about washing their hands when they leave the bathroom at work or whatever. Yeah. Okay. Our next question is titled, no more prestige TV on the couch.
4: how do i figure out when slash if my boyfriend's weed habits cross the line for me when we got together three years ago my boyfriend was an occasional beer drinker with never much of anything else i was a rare drinker and an occasional weed smoker he had some long-standing health issues that sometimes impaired activities for him but despite them we bonded over a shared love of hiking triathlons and working out three years later things are different He was finally able to get his health issues diagnosed and is able to do pretty much whatever he'd like. His medications don't mix with alcohol, so he stopped drinking. I got on antidepressants, and my new psychiatrist recommended I stop smoking. So I did. Around this time, my state legalized recreational weed, and he got really into edibles. It feels like at this point, we rarely have a weekend or a vacation day where he isn't high. And he's always high when we go to hang out with friends. He's become much more into low-intensity activities, while I still want to do a lot of the biking and weightlifting we did in the beginning. You can do all of it high. I have in the past. I feel like somehow when our substance choices shifted, suddenly our ability to have shared activities disappeared. He's still reliable about important stuff. Present for me emotionally, the sex is still good, and I'm still in love. But I feel like we're always running parallel tracks in our free time because he's always high. We're never having the same experiences. I've grown to realize my favorite quality time with him is weeknight dinner because we're both in the same place in every way. It is nice, but I want more. How do I figure this out?
1: So the short answer that I'm always inclined to go to is, look, dating is for getting to know someone and evaluating if they add to your life and make it more enjoyable. And if the answer starts to feel like not so much anymore, you get to end things. Um, but they pay me too much to just tell everyone to break up. It's too easy. So I got to <laughs> unpack it a little. To be fair, I do think a really important clause in this letter was present for me emotionally and still in love. Those are big things. I wonder if they can outweigh the idea of not enjoying the same activities. I don't know. How big of a deal do you think that is?
2: I I think it really depends on the quality of the relationship. I do believe that you need to have common ground of some kind in a relationship for it to succeed. Mm-hmm. But I also think it's okay to be different. You know, like, I can use my own marriage as an example. My wife and I do have a baseline of things we like to both do. We both love going to art, see art. We love theater we love concerts etc but for example we recently went on a vacation and she like loves adventure and Mm -hmm. went to the gobi desert to sleep in a yurt so we were in mongolia and i stayed in Ulaanbaatar. and i was like Mm. i will see you in three days and that was fine i mean i missed her she missed me but i didn't want to go sleep in a dirty yurt with bugs crawling all over me and that's exactly what happened it wasn't dirty to be fair but it was there were bugs and I don't do bugs and so you don't have to do everything together like if he just wants to sit around and be high and he doesn't want to lift weights like respect that shit but do you have core values in common etc and also I think just ask for quality time Mm
4: -hmm.
2: you know maybe it won't be like running up a goddamn mountain which why just like sit down but if you, there are things you could do. But that said, if being <laughs> physically active outside of the bedroom together is important to you, then it's time to say so to him and see what he says. And if he doesn't want to do that anymore, then perhaps this relationship has run its course.
1: I also noticed they have dinner together every weeknight. That's a pretty big chunk of life, right? Mm-hmm. Like if you're enjoying dinner Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday and Friday, that's pretty solid. I agree with you about not needing to have shared interests. So for example, we're in football season and I know Joel's brain is maybe 75% dedicated to football. And when I say I don't care about it, I do not care. I only vaguely am aware when it's even on the TV. I just, I don't know who won, I don't know who lost. I don't know if it's college football or the NFL. I know he's concentrating on it. I know I'm concentrating on something else. Nobody gives a damn about that. Um, But again. I guess if we'd started off both loving it and I was like, suddenly I hate football, maybe that would have bothered him. I have no idea. Or maybe if he stopped liking, you know, talking about things on the internet, which is my interest, maybe I would care. My least generous reading of this letter is that it feels almost a little controlling to want someone to be in the same state of mind as you. Why? Like if you're hanging out with friends, you're with the same friends and you're enjoying yourself, why is it important to you? That your mind is like clear and sharp, and his mind is more relaxed because he's had a gummy. Like, what feels threatening about him being a little bit somewhere else mentally? Does that resonate at all? Yeah. You know,
2: I feel like there might be something deeper going on here. I think that he might be more checked out on the gummy. You know, I think that might be the underlying issue that he's not present more than like he's smiling and sort of like on his own wavelength, but that he's just you know, not engaging, like not, responding. not having conversation, yeah. etc. Because that could be really lonely. And there are a few things that feel worse than feeling lonely in a relationship. Mm-hmm. And I hear a lot of loneliness here. Mm. But I also agree that I do think she's trying to be controlling, like do what I want to do, which is not generally how relationships work. I mean, sure, there are things you do for your partner that you have no interest in. But you don't have to be like strong-armed into it every time. You just do it because that's right. what love calls for, at least for me. I'm like, I'm happy to do things I don't want to do sometimes. Right. Uh, and I often find that seeing Debbie's excitement for it makes me excited too. Mm, and I mm-hmm. end up finding something really enjoyable in it. And I find myself getting out of my comfort zone. But, you know, you also have to know when to say, mm, this isn't for me. Like, I'll see you on the other end. Yeah. And when she got there, she texted me and she was like, You made the right decision. (laughs) She had a great time, but she knew that I would not have had a great time, and so that was very affirming. And when you can also like affirm each other in your decisions that may not allow you to do certain things together, that's great. That means you just you're on the same page. And these people are not currently on the same page.
1: So I'm back in. Therapy after about a seven-year break. Ooh. Um, so I'm going to annoy everyone probably starting now with like saying what I think my therapist would probably say about this, which would be she would say think about your values, about what you want in a relationship and what's most important to you, and ask if the gummies and the way he behaves when he's high are getting in the way of that, or if it aligns with your values. I think that's kind of the core question here. So something for you to meditate on, letter writer, and. You know, for now, I think I would go to these hangouts when he's high and ask yourself, am I having fun? Not like, is he behaving the way I think he should be? But am I enjoying myself? Because again, back to my first point, that's what relationships are for. They're supposed to make you enjoy life more. So check in with yourself and see if this one is. You're listening to The Dear Prudence Show. And when we come back, we'll be reading more of your letters. Stay with us. I'm here with my guest, Roxanne, to answer your letters, and the next one is titled Ghosting with Good Enough Reasons.
6: I have a friend I don't like much anymore. We used to be very close, and especially during the pandemic, we leaned on each other hard with weekly virtual cocktail hours and regular texting. I will always be grateful for our good times but over the last few years, I've become less interested in the things that originally brought us together. I've also noticed behaviors from my friend that I don't enjoy, like talking down to me or acting like I'm not managing my life correctly. At different points, she's offered slash threatened to buy me a new coffee maker. I like my coffee fine. Please don't send a coffee maker to someone else to give me because I wouldn't accept it from you. And has sent me apartment listings when I mentioned my husband and I were thinking of moving. I didn't ask for help, and we live on opposite coasts. The last time she visited me, I really didn't enjoy the visit. The way she talked to me and treated me, but also what we did. Lots of drinking. I also don't like the way she talks about mutual friends and finally realized that she might be talking that way about me to others. She has a way of talking about people and events in the world that I used to find funny and snarky, but now feels unkind. I also don't particularly like myself when I'm with her and I zone out when we talk. So I know I'm not being a good friend and I don't like that about myself in this friendship. I've cut back on our phone calls and responding to her texts. But when we do talk, she still brings up when we can next see each other in person or expresses a desire to get back to a schedule where we are talking every week. I dread this. The big problem right now is I am pregnant with my first child. In years past, when we were closer, I talked with my friend about my interest in having a child. I didn't share with her or anyone that we were starting to try to become pregnant or when we succeeded, but now I'm in the second trimester and we are telling people. There are some people I have avoided telling because I know she still talks to them and I don't want it to get back to her before I have told her, but I also don't want to tell her. She's made comments about wanting to have a big girls trip before this happened, too late, and also about doing things with or for my future kid, like trips to Disneyland or elaborate gifts. I don't want her to have that kind of role in my life or my kid's life. The last time we talked about me hypothetically having children one day, she brought up that I might have to get rid of my cat? What? I didn't ask her opinion, and no, I don't. I feel like I need to tell her because of our history and because I don't want her to hear it through the grapevine. I know she'll be thrilled for me and want to express that excitement, especially through gift-giving and making plans to visit, and I don't want that from her. She's complained in the past about the ways that other friends have wronged her, and I have seen her carry grudges for years, so I don't know that a big conversation about my desire to scale back our friendship will be well-received." I don't want her to think that my soon-to-be baby is the reason that we grew apart, but maybe it's fine if that's what she thinks. Am I okay to keep slowly ghosting? And if so, how do I navigate this baby news? Or do you have some other suggestions?
1: I missed this on the first reading, so I was sitting here laughing about the idea of the conversation going, hey friend, I have something important to share. I'm thinking about starting a family. And the friend going, you know you might have to give up your cat. I mean, what?
2: (laughs) I mean, like people have the strangest (laughs) ideas about like bringing a child into your home, and for some reason, cats, which I actually get, um, come up quite a lot. As you can't have a baby around a cat, which doesn't, you know, it's not true.
1: This friend sounds unlikable. Honestly, the part about her sending apartment listings when the letter writer said she was thinking about moving kind of gave me a visceral reaction too. I just, I think it's the most offensive thing when someone inserts themselves in your stressful, big life planning decisions that way. Um, It goes right back to what we said about giving unsolicited advice. Yes. Um, But all that said, what do you think? Slow ghost, fade out, um, or have a formal friend breakup? Or actually it just occurred to me like try to repair, try to fix the friendship before ending it? What do you think?
4: Well,
2: I don't think that repair is on the table simply because the letter writer doesn't seem to like this person very much, which is totally fine. Sometimes Mm -hmm. you get to know someone and you have friendship for a moment and it's not for a lifetime. You realize, okay, we were something for each other during the pandemic, for example. And Mm -hmm. now that we are back to something closer to normal, our lives are not compatible. but. I also think friend breakups sound painful. I've never done one. I'm more of the uh, ghoster. Like I Mm -hmm. just disappear because I don't like confrontation. So I don't have any good advice for this person because I think it's uncomfortable. But I am so surprised by the number of people who are friends with people they don't like. Mm
1: -hmm.
2: Save yourself the trouble.
1: Yeah, I find that shocking too. I've also done the fade out and if you happen to be listening to this and we used to be close friends or we're not anymore, it probably wasn't you. But in a couple of instances, I have just slowly backed off um, for reasons similar to the ones listed in this letter, which is that I felt the person was mean spirited or I knew they were talking about me the way they talked about other people or they were just unkind. And to me, those things made it easy. And what it required to do that was to not worry about what will they think and what will they say to other people. Um, I think the letter writer's big fears here are about how it will be received and she'll think it's about the baby and she'll talk about me. So what? You won't know her anymore.
2: Yeah. And I do think that's exactly what she's afraid of because that's what I would be afraid of. Like, I ha- sometimes have this Bizarre fear of like, what are people going to say about me to others? Mm -hmm. But through therapy, one of the things I'm working on and learning is that you simply cannot control what people are going to say. You can only control what you do. Right. And I think that she should tell the friend that she's pregnant because I would, you know, the friend would probably be incredibly hurt to not learn and Mm. perhaps say, Um, I'm going to be focusing on my family for the foreseeable future. And I appreciate all that we were to each other, but I don't have the bandwidth for an active friendship with you at this point in time. And I wish you the very best.
1: Oh, I love that. I don't have the
2: bandwidth for an active friendship. Use the baby. It's going to be like one of the few opportunities where that baby is going to work for you.
1: Right. Totally. And I can say once that baby is like three months old, People like your excuses are over. You're just a regular person with a kid like everyone else in the world. So use it now. Exactly. Um, I also think so having going through one of life's big stressors, like having a baby, having a death in the family, dealing with a major health issue, unemployment, it can actually be a gift because it takes up so much of your emotional bandwidth that it makes these kinds of decisions so much more urgent and in that way easier because you simply don't have it in you to deal with someone who's making your life more stressful or causing you pain, or can't be there for you in the way you need them to. So I would just kind of think of it as like, the pregnancy is giving you this opening, right? Where you suddenly have the motivation to make a decision really to take care of yourself that maybe you weren't inclined to make before. So use the energy of this moment and um, use Roxanne's line. This is Dear Prudence. We need to take a break, but when we come back, more letters from you and advice from us. Stay tuned.
3: Adultish is back. And this season, we're talking about standing up and learning how to take a stand for issues on the minds of young people, like... Book bans. The book banning
5: side. They have an incredibly well-oiled machine.
3: Filling in food deserts. We have three community colleges where we either provide food boxes or an actual operating farmer's market. And what's affecting young people's mental and emotional health.
5: Pressures of school, friendships from romantic relationships, pressures from family.
3: New episodes of Adultish from YR Media drop every Thursday, so subscribe wherever you're listening now.
1: I'm Janae, and you're listening to Dear Prudence. Roxanne and I are about to tackle our last question for the day. Ready, Roxanne? Oh, I'm ready. Okay. This letter is titled, Keeping the Faith.
7: I don't really know what my question is because I don't have a real problem beyond not totally believing I'll eventually meet someone. About five years ago, my boyfriend died suddenly. It was a great relationship, headed for marriage, and then he was gone. It took a lot of work, therapy, tears, support of friends and family, fellow people who lost their partners young. I was almost 27, but I've gotten back to a place where I'm happy and thriving. I have a job I generally enjoy and find rewarding, close friendships, although looking to make more new friends after a COVID exodus from my city, creative and active hobbies, am involved in local politics and activism, and genuinely love my life. I didn't date for nearly two years after my boyfriend died and i have since had one longer relationship, conveniently throughout much of the pandemic, and threw myself back into dating more actively when that ended. I went on 35 first dates in a year. Some of those turned into six to eight dates. Most didn't last more than one or two. I'm feeling burnt out on dating apps, and I'm actively trying to meet people in person, although it's hard. It feels like my more peripheral social circle shrunk during COVID. My friends are mostly women who are mostly friends with women. Everyone is married, it feels like, and I've never been one to strike up a conversation on a plane or at the grocery store or even a bar. I want kids. I'm open to doing it on my own. I know I have longer than society might tell me I do to make that happen. How do I keep believing that eventually it'll happen for me again? How do I not resent that it seems like it comes easier for everyone else? I know this is not true. I've talked about these things with my therapist, but for some reason, I'm hoping a stranger's encouragement might help shake something loose in my brain.
1: So first of all, I would say it is okay to resent that things seem to be easier for other people. It's not fair what happened to you. It's not fair that you lost your boyfriend. It's a tragedy. It's okay to feel sorry for yourself about that. And it's okay to wallow in the feeling that you've been dealt a really shitty hand.
2: I agree you know, losing a boyfriend like that in such an unexpected way, because in general, you know, young people aren't supposed to die. Uh Uh, I think that's truly painful. And it sounds like you are coping with it pretty well, as complicated as grief can be. And I would say, I also understand that sense of hopelessness, but I would also say, and I say this with all the love in the world, like, you have to give yourself some time. You have a lot of time for family. You have a lot of time to find someone you want to have a family with. Or, you know, if you want to do it on your own, you have time. Truly, like many of my friends, most of my friends have started their families in their mid to late 40s, because we were all in grad school during our 30s. And, you know, there just wasn't time. And then we were, you know, for those of us who went into academia, we were on the tenure track. And there wasn't really time. And so you put it off and you put it off and then you're like 45 and you're like, "Whoa, I think I want a kid. What do I do? And so you have so much time because if people my age can figure it out, you're going to figure it all out. But also allow yourself to honor those feelings of hopelessness. Like You don't have to deny them. You don't have to push them away. You can just say, yeah, this is how I'm feeling right now. As long as you understand that you're not going to feel this way forever.
1: Yeah, really, I would say stop pushing this bad feeling away. It's sort of like right after a breakup, you have to like lay in bed and be miserable and cry and be filthy and eat whatever you want and like leave plates around the bedside table, whatever, for a weekend, you know, give yourself a chance to just um, to really kind of shut down and know that you will kind of move through it and get to the other side of it. I would also say um, to deal with the anxiety about this never happening, I would suggest making a really concrete plan B. So either you like meet someone in a meet cute in a year and everything works out fine, or maybe you don't. So maybe you make a timeline for yourself. Like maybe you get fertility testing to see what you have going on. Maybe you decide to freeze your eggs. Maybe you go ahead and say, if you aren't um, in a relationship by a certain age, whatever age makes sense to you you pursue becoming a single mother by choice. And so you know you have that plan and that sort of frees up your brain to stop stressing about what's going to happen because you know either I'm going to meet someone and all my dreams will come true or I'm going to make my dreams come true this other way. And I have I have it lined up so I can do that.
2: I, I would absolutely, I agree. And I would reiterate looking into freezing your eggs. I think that's, if you can afford it, it is mm-hmm. not, cheap. But I do think that's one of the best gifts that uh, a person with a uterus can give themselves. If you know or believe you want children, but you don't know when that will happen, it's just a security deposit on Mm -hmm. your fertility. It opens up so many more possibilities if you are interested in having a biological child. totally. so, yes, definitely look into it. I know many people who have done it and have not regretted it at all because, again, it just gives you options.
1: Mm -hmm. And of course, it's not a guarantee, but it gives you many more options than you would have otherwise. Just other small thoughts on things you wrote, Letter Writer. You said, I've never been one to strike up a conversation on a plane. Well, could you become one? Mm. like could you do things a little bit differently to get what you really want just think about it also ask people to matchmake you I'm a big fan of people who want to find love being unashamed to put it out there to their friends and family their colleagues maybe maybe not depending on who their colleagues are on social media Um, it's nothing to be ashamed of most people do want to find love let people know, ask for help. You have absolutely no idea who has um, someone in mind who could be perfect for you.
2: I love that. I, you know, I think we've gotten away from setting friends up because of apps and Mm -hmm. all of those other tools of modern dating, but I never did the apps and Mm -hmm. for a lot of reasons, but mostly because I'm 48. (laughs) And it's not that apps have not existed in my lifetime, but I just never was single in an opportune way to take advantage of the apps. I was on eHarmony once for like 10 days, but (laughs) 10 days, then you had to pay. I was in grad school and you had to pay. And I was like, I don't have $200 to pay for (laughs) maybe meeting someone 600 miles away. No. Um, So lean into your friends who may know someone I'm always on the lookout for my single friends, like in my networks thinking who might you be a good fit for? Um, And, but I only make that introduction if I think that if things don't work out, it will all be okay. Right. Um, But yeah, like lean on your friends. They know people and they know people who know people. So just try different things as well.
1: Right. Don't be, don't be too cool to openly want love and, don't be too cool to admit that you're sad right now. Both of those things are totally fine. And they're things that happen um, on a lot of people's path to finding the right person. Okay, those are all the questions we have for this week. It's been fun and hopefully helpful. Thank you, Roxanne.
2: Thank you, Janae, it's been great to be here.
1: Subscribe to Roxanne's newsletter, The Audacity, and look out for her forthcoming book, Opinions. For more of her advice, read the WorkFriend column in the New York Times. She's rgay on Twitter and roxangay74 on Instagram. Do you need help getting along with partners, relatives, coworkers, and people in general? Write to me. Go to slate.com forward slash prudy. That's slate.com forward slash P R U D I E. The Dear Prudence column publishes every Thursday.
2: If you'd like to hear your question answered on the podcast, we are looking for letter writers who would be comfortable recording their questions for the show. You can stay anonymous.
1: Dear Prudence is produced by Sierra Spragley-Ricks with a special thanks to Maura Curry. Editorial help from Paola De Verona. Daisy Rosario is Senior Supervising Producer and Alicia Montgomery is Slate's VP of Audio. I'm your Dear Prudence, Janae Desmond-Harris. Until next time.